Hello, comrades, and welcome to the Sunflower Socialist Podcast. The day of recording is June 6th, and I realized that I just put out another episode uh, that I did preface, but this one is about the George Floyd protests, and this is a very heavy topic, and I'm just going to say up front, I want to keep this as quick as I can because I'm a white person. I have a very limited scope with which to talk about racial issues like this, and I would like to be mindful of my privilege as a white person, so I'll quickly say this podcast is primarily directed to my white listeners, and I want to keep it short and focus mainly on my own experiences and impressions of the protests that I attended here in Kansas City. I don't intend to comment on the strategies or policies that I think Black Lives Matter should be employing or implementing. I think this ought to be, as it is, a black-led movement in which people of other races, particularly white people, take a backseat and play more of a supportive role. We ought to listen to people of color and follow their lead on these issues and center their voices as we, as white people, have not experienced the racial oppression that the black community and other racial groups have faced and continue to face, and we really need to elevate their voices. That being said, I understand the irony of my voice coming through this and talking about these issues. As a white person, I just felt as a podcaster, I should comment on them since I did attend several of these protests, but I want to just preface with that up front. So to that end, I'm going to limit what I talk about and specifically talk about what I've done at the recent process here in Kansas City and give my analysis on what has happened and where things are going, but not really comment on where I think things should go. So I don't know how many of my listeners are in the Kansas City area. I assume a significant chunk of them are, but I know I have listeners and YouTube subscribers and others from other parts of the world who may not be as familiar with Kansas City, so I'll try and be as descriptive as I can with the makeup of Kansas City here, but Kansas City is not immune to the issues of racism, racist policing, police brutality, de facto segregation, any of these issues that still perpetuate American society to this day. And the city really has been shaped by this legacy, by white supremacy, and by this legacy of racism and segregation. I live in the suburbs of Johnson County, Kansas, which is a predominantly white area. Less than 5% of the population is black. But less than a mile away from me is Wyandotte County, which is where Kansas City, Kansas is located. And that has a black population of more than 25%. In Kansas City, Missouri, it gets even worse, where you have a very clear racial segregation line along Troost, and just about every racist statistic you could get from any other city, Kansas City has got it too. And there have been a number of police killings and incidences of police brutality here as well, just as there have been in every other city and municipality in the United States. So in the wake of the killing of George Floyd by the Minneapolis police, protests sprang up here pretty quickly. A lot of them taking place in Mill Creek Park on the plaza. And this has been an area where a lot of protests have taken place over the years from all different sorts, all different kinds of protests. But these ones in particular have attracted very large crowds and have been some of the biggest crowds I've seen at protests in my life. And these were pretty spontaneously organized and people have been protesting in this park almost nonstop for the last week at time of recording. If I can take a little detour here... The road next to Mill Creek Park is J.C. Nichols Parkway, and the fountain in the park, often the park itself is just called by this, is also named for J.C. Nichols. People often call it J.C. Nichols Park. Now, for those who aren't familiar with Kansas City or the history of Kansas City, J.C. Nichols was a real estate developer, famous, most famous for developing the plaza and other parts of the metro. But as part of his development projects, he was a pioneer in using restrictive covenants to keep black people and other ethnic minorities from owning property in the areas he developed. And this policy that he was so 
advanced in using, actually later was adopted by the federal government and used in federal housing policy until the Supreme Court made them unenforceable in the Shelley v. Kramer decision in 1948, and then they were banned outright by the Fair Housing Act in 1968. But despite this, the plaza area is still one of the wealthiest and whitest neighborhoods in the KC metro. So these protests have been happening next to a fountain and a street, which are effectively monuments to white supremacy in Kansas City. So if any KCMO city council members, or even if Mayor Quentin Lucas is listening to this podcast, which may not be likely, but regardless, if you are, change the f***ing names! Now, getting back to the protests, these really started on Friday, May 29th, and they've continued for the last week or so, and they have drawn really large and enormous crowds and have been going non-stop. The police response, especially in the early days, was hostile from the get-go, threatening to pepper spray nonviolent protesters for the egregious crime of standing in the street, a street which I might add was closed down on Friday when they first threatened it. And later in that evening, as some protesters marched down to the Westport area, pepper spray was used on them and a couple of arrests were made. So this was already off to a bad start here in Kansas City, and it just got worse on the second day. And this is the first protest that I actually went to. I missed the Friday protest, but on that Saturday, I came out to the protests early afternoon, and when I arrived, the police were just beginning the process of blocking off the streets and closing down the plaza, as they said they would do. They And these cops came heavily armed and ready for a fight. They had giant pepper spray canisters, tear gas, and grenade launchers to fire them with. These cops were incredibly trigger-happy and looking for a fight. They threatened to tear gas us pretty much from the get-go, and although they soon backed down after the first threat, which was before 4 o'clock, I might even add, when the protest was officially set to begin... You know, they would continue to do this throughout the day. There was a picture of the Kansas City police that some people said, oh, they're kneeling in solidarity with the protests. No, they were kneeling to put their gas masks on, and they were doing this as kind of a threat to us throughout the day. It wasn't about an hour in, an hour after I had gotten there, that they began to attack us. They began going after us very aggressively. The first arrest was happened right in front of me. A man who had stepped off the curb into the street uh, was trying to back into the back onto the sidewalk as the police were approaching him, and he bumped into a car. The police then proceeded to violently throw this man to the ground and arrest him. And then a few feet away from where I was and where this was taking place, the police responded by releasing some pepper spray on the protesters. And while I wasn't in the direct line of fire, I was hit with some of the pepper spray. It still remains probably one of the most painful things I've ever experienced in my life. And this sort of thing can continued throughout the rest of the day. The police would hit us with pepper spray after someone had stepped into the street or something like that so they could arrest that person, usually very violently, for a misdemeanor, and they clearly had no intention of allowing us to protest freely. How did people react to this violence after the third or fourth incident of pepper spray being released? People started throwing water bottles at them. I personally did not engage in this. I was tried to stay a bit further in the back because uh, I wanted to social distance as best I could. But contrary to what the police claimed, these were not frozen water bottles. These were just water bottles that people had brought for protesters to drink so no one died of dehydration. And the police were attacking us. So how did people respond? They responded, you know, as any human would. They were, you know, they were responding in kind with what they had. And these, that being water bottles, I did see one person throw a stick, but that was about it. And can you blame them? They've been out there for hours trying to use their constitutionally protected right to freedom of speech, and the police have only responded with pepper spray and arrests. This continued throughout the day, and about an hour after I left this protest, the police fired tear gas into the crowd, and at that point, things really just lit up like we've seen in nearly every other city. The police have reacted to the protests in this way. A cop car was set on fire, things were broken... But let's be perfectly clear about two things. One, property destruction is not more important than people's lives. And two, the police are 100% 
absolutely responsible for the chaos that ensued. The chaos, the disorder, the destruction, etc. The police bear full responsibility for that. The KCPD were the aggressors. I had gone home by then in part because I knew the police were only going to react more and more violently and that they would cause a riot, and my prediction was 100% confirmed. After that, a curfew was declared, and that stayed in place for the next couple days. The next day, there were more protests on the plaza, of course, but there was also a protest in Kansas City, Kansas, and I attended this one. It was a much calmer affair. It had been organized by a community organization and a number of civic and religious leaders in Wyandotte County, but there were only about five cops at this protest, and I didn't see them do anything except sit back and drink LaCroix. I'm not even joking there. This action, I should also note, had a very local focus on the actions of the police in Kansas City, Kansas, including rapes by police, uh, police harassment, and even a suspected serial killer within the police force, which the police have refused to investigate. The protest ended around 6 o'clock, I think, and afterwards I actually made an attempt to get down to the plaza to join the larger protest there. Also like to add, before I go any further on this, that at that protest in KCK, I decided to do some Irish-American solidarity just symbols. I wore uh, my Bobby Sands shirt and uh, had a starry plow flag in tow just to show, you know, that I as an Irish American stand with this community because, you know, there is not much of a difference between the struggle against police brutality here and the struggle against British imperialism in Ireland from the way I see it. After the protests in Kansas City, Kansas, I tried to drive down to join up with comrades in the plaza, but I was stopped by the police before I could even reach 39th Street. They had the city on near complete lockdown. I saw several squad cars pass me by with cops in full riot gear heading to the plaza, and things only escalated throughout that throughout that night. I will say I did encounter a march by some protesters as I was turning around, and so I started honking my horn in support, and I was throwing my hand out the window, yelling all power to the people and Black Lives Matter and all that, and this really annoyed the people behind me. But guess what happened that night after I had gotten home? More tear gas. There were also reports of rubber bullets being used, but I have not confirmed this, and more chaos thanks to the boys in blue. That's what was happening in these early days. And this continued for several more days uh, at the protests on the plaza. On Monday and on Tuesday, the police were saying, oh, the protests are clearly the aggressors, and shared out these ridiculous photos of what they of the things that had been thrown at the police, which included a can of beans, an umbrella, numerous water bottles, one firecracker... I'm not an expert on fireworks, I don't know what it was, it was some sort of firework, and a shoe. That's what people were throwing at the cops. Meanwhile, the police were lobbing back tear gas and pepper spray and possibly even rubber bullets. This, I cannot take the KCPD seriously, and it was just utterly ridiculous, the stuff they were claiming. This continued for a couple days, and then it was around Wednesday or Thursday, I don't know exactly, that the police agreed to back off and de-escalate, possibly at the recommendation of the mayor, although I should note that the mayor doesn't actually have that much control over the KCPD because it is run by the state. We don't have local control of the police department in KCMO. They began to de-escalate and pull back, and guess what happened? The protests have been peaceful ever since. You know, there's been no more... Again, I hate even having to bring this up, but property destruction, the stuff the cops are so afraid of. There was no more of that. You know, they were backing off. The riots didn't happen. And this just proves my point that I've been making, that the police were 100% unequivocally responsible for the chaos and the riots and all of that. These were police riots of the purest sort. Uh, this last Saturday, I went to a protest organized by a group called Black Hammer, and we were able to march from City Hall to Union Station and back. Effectively, we did an entire loop around downtown KCMO. And the police 
stood back most of the time. They did not aggress us. They did not attack us. They blocked traffic, but they, and they did try and keep us moving, but they did not attack us. And there was no altercations or anything like that as a result, which just tells you that we don't actually need these cops. And that actually segues very well into my next point. As these protests have gone on, they're beginning to take on a very clear and cogent message about what needs to be done. And this is an important stage for any protest movement that starts out as, you know, justified anger against the oppression that a group like African Americans have faced for centuries now. And the biggest one is is defunding the police. The protest that I went to that was organized by Black Hammer on Saturday, it was specifically billed with that message. It was a defund the police protest. And I'm really glad this idea is catching on among the broader public now. If the last week has taught me anything, it's that the police are fundamentally unnecessary as they presently exist. I had already believed in police abolition, but these events have really strengthened my belief in this. And we need to immediately cut the budget of the KCPD and every police force in the United States down as much as is legally possible, if not get rid of it altogether. We need to invest that money back into marginalized communities and alternatives to policing. There's this statistic I saw, uh, which was the KCPD under state law has to be funded with 20% of the city budget. Even though it's controlled by the state, the city still pays for it. And 20% of the city's budget has to go to law enforcement. Guess how much money we would save, the city would save by cutting it down to the legal minimum? About $125 million. That is a lot of money that can go to repairing streets, to schools, to to social improvements in black communities, in communities east of Troost. That's where we can put that money towards. We don't have to put it towards policing. And this is a very good sign. I'm glad to see where these protests are going. I'm very hopeful that this is a going to lead to real substantive changes. We've seen the city government try and implement some token reforms. Oh, we'll get body cameras. We'll get, you know, we'll institute a rules of force because the KCPD don't have any of those and other stuff. But now we're seeing very clear demands coming out of these of the organizers, the black-led organizers of these events and actions and groups, and these demands are very clear, defund the police. And I'm hopeful that this will lead to substantive change. We're also seeing a lot of pressure on the AFL-CIO to get them to expel law enforcement associations like the FOP, and I refuse to call police associations unions because they're not. Police aren't workers. Police are class traders. But it's really we're getting a real sense of what is actually needed in this. I think that a lot of white people are waking up to this as well now, and that's a very positive thing. Uh, you know, we are realizing that we have to continue to keep pressure on these institutions and get them to follow through and slash these police budgets because the answer to police brutality and racist policing isn't body cameras or jailing killer cops or any of these other you know token reforms, these non-reformist reforms that liberals keep trotting out as answers to issues of racist policing. The fundamental institution of law enforcement in this country is racist and needs to be deconstructed and replaced. This movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, these groups like Black Hammer and Movement for Black Lives and One Struggle KC, these are these movements are really at the forefront of change right now. This is one of the biggest issues where we are seeing public opinion change in real time. We are seeing people's minds shift overnight. I work at a grocery store, and the day after the, you know, the really big protests uh, where the police were releasing tear gas and pepper spray and all that, I remember going into work and hearing my coworkers, who are mostly white, working-class women in a lily-white suburb, talking about how this is utterly ridiculous, what the police are doing, and they're, you know, do we really even need them anymore? Well, I was hearing them say things like that 
that is what is changing right now. We are seeing public opinion, the majority of public opinion beginning to shift on this issue, and we are really going to see change if this keeps up. And so to all of those groups that are leading the charge on this, Black Hammer, One Struggle KC, Movement for Black Lives, all of them, keep up the good work. You know, solidarity forever. You guys are amazing. You know, I can I will continue to support you in whatever ways I can while working to remain aware of my position within these black-led spaces, within this movement, that I, as a white person, am not the face of this movement, that I cannot be the face of this movement, that it must be a black-led movement, and that black voices must be elevated. And if any of you would like to come on this podcast to talk about it so I can help elevate your voice and get this message out further, you know, let me know, because I would like to do whatever I can to help support this movement. I also would just quickly like to give a massive shout out to the international solidarity protests that have been going on and are also seeking to address racism in their own countries. Uh, within the Irish Republican Caucus, the group within the DSA that I helped start, you know, we have been in, we have gotten messages of solidarity from a ton of different organizations in Ireland that have also been helping to raise money for bail funds and all these other efforts in the United States, doing what they can to support it. And we have seen protests in Ireland, in the UK, in France, and all over in support of the protests here in the United States, calling for justice for George Floyd, defunding the police in the U.S., and also seeking to address ra racism in their own countries. And it's been absolutely amazing to see this. I, you know, International solidarity is more important than I think people really realize, and we need to continue building, and we need to develop these links, because this struggle is not the only struggle that we're going to need to work together on in the future. You know, that's all I can really say on this issue. So, thanks so much. I'm not going to plug any of my socials in this podcast because this is such a big topic and I don't feel I, I should be doing any self-promotion in this. So instead, I would like to encourage you to check out all the bail funds in Kansas City. I will post some links in the description below. Uh, One Struggle KC, Real Justice Network, these groups all have their own bail funds going. And if you can, please support them because we need to get these protesters who are arrested by the police unjustly out of jail. So please support them if you can. Thank you so much. And as always, solidarity. Hey comrades, Brendan here at the end of the podcast. I did not realize this when I initially uploaded the original draft of this podcast, uh, but I actually misspoke when I said the name of the group that I had organized the defund the police rally that I attended was called Black Hammer. This was me confusing the names of two organizations. The name of the group was actually Black Rainbow. Black Hammer is a completely different organization with some rather troubling aspects, I might add. And so I want to apologize to Black Rainbow for confusing them with another group that they have nothing to do with, no connection with whatsoever, and in all likelihood, probably reject. I am very sorry for misleading you. Please do not go Googling Black Hammer because they are a very different organization to what I meant to say. 
this was just me getting things mixed up in my head. I am very sorry. 